The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition. And employers understand that in order to keep high performers and the people that cost them money to recruit, it makes much more sense to understand and talk and help them with their well-being rather than just let them go. Motherhood. Specialists always say there's no stupid question, but when you're sat in front of a consultant and you're totally baffled by what they're saying to you, Mm. that you can't have a child naturally and you need science, you know, it's devastating. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent, and I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. People still keep it to themselves and then realise that there's this whole support network out there kind of further down the line and wish they'd found it sooner. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started with this week's podcast, I wanted to tell you about my new sponsor, Nanu. Those who know me know how much I value my sleep and my pillows are integral to this. The power of sleep should never be underestimated and with Nanu they are helping us with the most personalised sleep experience available. So if you're a pillow snob a bit like me, you'll know it has to be your own specific type to achieve the best night's sleep. And creating a Nanu pillow is so simple. You just go on their website, which is nanusleep.co.uk and tailor make your perfect pillow according to your weight, height, favourite sleeping position and preferred softness. The information is then used in some magic pillow making algorithm, basically creating a personalised pillow just for you. And that's all for £35. Genius. And as parents, you know, life can be so busy and a good night's sleep is essential for our mental and physical well-being, ensuring we're on top form for our families as well as our careers. And sleep is that factor that can literally make or break our day as well as protecting us from illness, stress and future disease. So if a personalised pillow sounds like your perfect option to a better quality sleep, um, have a look at nanusleep.co.uk or simply search nanusleep on all social media platforms. Hello and welcome back to the Ambitious Mum podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef. I'm your host of the show. It is episode eight. How has everyone been? Have you had a good week? Um, my week's been really interesting. I put a call out on social media um, in celebration for International Women's Day, which is happening this Sunday. And my call out was for other people to nominate who they think would make a great ambitious mum podcast host and not host guest because that would be really bad. Um, So I got loads of nominations. I got loads of people nominating friends, loved ones, colleagues, employees. Um, And it was really fascinating to sift through all the different women that I probably would never have come across myself from so many different industries. So thank you so much for everyone for getting in touch. And I will be sifting through them all, um, reading all the profiles. I don't want to do anyone any injustice by not reading about everybody. So please do bear with me and hopefully I will have that person as my last guest of the season in a few weeks time. So thank you so much. And also thank you to everyone for that got in touch about Cody last week. I know what a great story, really inspiring woman. Um, So I had some really nice messages about that. 
And this week's guest, she's great. Her name is Natalie Silverman and she is a seasoned broadcaster. So I was trying really hard not to feel like a complete imposter when I interviewed her. Um, She is a voiceover artist. She was a radio DJ. She hosted the Heart Breakfast Show for a number of years. She worked on Hits Radio and she's also got an amazing podcast called The Fertility Podcast. And this is what we talk about quite a bit in um, this week's episode, that she um, launched this podcast about four or five years ago after she went through fertility treatment herself to conceive her little boy. And through this, she has created an amazing community. She bridges the gap between the patient and the expert And what she has achieved um, in this industry is fantastic because she's really helping wade through all the jargon and help people who are at the beginning of their journeys. Maybe they've gone through that journey. She interviews so many different types of experts and specialists that she's providing um, invaluable information for people who are going through what I can only assume is a very stressful, scary time. So... We talk about that loads and um, Natalie was an amazing guest and I didn't make any massive cock-ups, which is brilliant. So I'm sure I was doing loads of amateur um, errors that she'd sort of clocked, but um, she was very kind and didn't say anything. So the good news is the podcast was recorded and, um, and here it is. So I hope you enjoy. Here's my conversation with Natalie Silverman. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's oh, to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. And I think your story is really interesting because what I love about doing the Ambitious Men podcast is speaking to different women. And I'm learning so much as well because you're all come from different backgrounds. But I think your background is really interesting. And I think a lot of um, listeners will also find it um, fascinating that you have come from a radio DJ voiceover background but due to your personal circumstances you've evolved into a completely different niche can you just give us a little bit of an idea of how this started and maybe your journey towards setting up the fertility podcast yeah so my background is as a radio presenter I spent 15 years presenting predominantly with heart um, and five years doing a breakfast show before I had my little boy and Ooh, so, how to, what time did you have to get up in the morning for 4:30. that? Oh, wow. What, for five years? For five years. Wow. But put me in good practice for having a child. Yes. Because when everyone else was like, oh, these early mornings, I was like, oh, I've done that. I've been there. <laughs> and the tiredness was, you know, very common to me. Um, so I've always talked for a living. I've always been into audio, been quite an audio geek. And I, the voiceover is another line of work that I've been doing um, alongside the radio. And Basically, we had to have fertility treatment for our little boy. And at the point in which we found out we needed to have it, I was already aware of podcasts. I'd already started to learn about them and I'd already started to make some because the work I did with Heart was very entertainment-based. It was very chatty and it wasn't... There wasn't the opportunity, like, for example, within the BBC to explore topics more. And so I was was cycling quite a bit at the time. And so I had this cycling blog and I'd record cycling conversations. I did a cycle to Amsterdam and I made a little podcast about that. And I did some cycling training and I did a little podcast about that. And when I say podcasts, I was putting them on SoundCloud. I didn't know about publishing to Apple and all that kind of stuff. And as I learned more, then this fertility situation happened that we needed to have fertility treatment. And my default was to look for audio content. And Mm. at the time... 
when I looked for fertility related audio content, the only thing there was was a few episodes of Woman's Hour and there was the odd thing that Guardian, the Guardian had done and the rest was American. And I, I, I felt that, that there was a real gap, that there wasn't anything with the British voice. And all the podcast learning I was doing was talking about finding a niche. Mm. And so I was like, well, okay, maybe this is something I could talk about. And so we went through our treatment whilst I was still working on the radio and I put I put it to bed the idea. And were you go were you doing the early mornings while you were going through your treatment? Yeah. Wow. And that oh, was something oh. that was um and I've only recently started to talk about that actually. That experience was was challenging because first of all as a freelancer, even though I was working in the same job for five years, so I had no explanation of what the deal was with HR it doesn't really because you're not really treated like staff and when I had a conversation with HR over the phone to say this is happening and what do I do about time off because the way the treatment works Mm. is you have to just not go into work one day with certain stages of the treatment yeah and when you do a live radio show you can't just not turn up and I didn't really want to have to tell everybody Mm. and so the conversation was that you need to say something and you need to have a think about what and there was no policy or anything in place and I'll talk about that later because it's something that I'm involved with now about support for people at work and um I told the guys I was doing the show directly with what was going on and we pretty much recorded the show for when I wasn't going to be there but I didn't didn't want to tell my boss because it's it's quite last minute isn't it when you get a phone call to say that you need to go in yeah yeah exactly and you know it's much harder in my line of work live radio you know to just not be there anyway we managed it and it was fine and the guys that I was with were, were brilliant um, but that that was a stress because you have to be happy doing mm. that show and I, I did find that quite challenging but once the treat we had we had success first time and um once I was pregnant I kind of went back to the podcast thinking and thought okay maybe this is something that I can talk about now I've been through it and maybe I can start doing some content around it so I started contacting people whose books I'd read or um, people that whose names had popped up and saying I'm doing a Probably, you know, you're experiencing mm. the same thing. You, I'm, I'm starting a podcast. Would you like to talk to me? And everybody that I contacted said yes. And then, I, I, you know, I launched the podcast. And I've now been making it for five years. What's actually happened is the work I do for the podcast and the profile that I suppose I've created within the fertility sector has now become a significant part of the work I'm doing, which I know is what you want to talk a bit about mm. more. And I never expected when I started making a podcast that... A, I'd be doing it five years later. I didn't really think long term. I just wanted to make contact. I didn't realise what I was uncovering really, which was such a need for people to be able to talk about this topic and have access to information because so many people are A, affected by infertility Mm. and the struggle to have a family. There's so many different conversations to be had and there's so much conflicting information that people feel so overwhelmed. And so I set out to interview people men and women as well as experts and to kind of be that bridge between the two as a former patient I felt you know I was in a good place to to speak to people about shared experiences but also to speak to the experts and try and present the information in I suppose layman's terms yeah and make it more accessible and the fact that obviously your background in broadcasting has made it a 
an interesting, you know, even for someone um, who hasn't gone through treatment, maybe they know they're friendly, they've got family. I think it's really important that people are more educated and more aware because, you know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and, you know, sometimes when people say something really insensitive or, you know, if you're going through um, treatment and it's not succeeding, if, you know, you find out someone's pregnant and all these different things that maybe people just need to know about more and you've really successfully um presented a lot of information to people that um who are going through that and maybe do need very specific information but also um more generalized information that um people you know um should just know about if they are helping and supporting loved ones yeah um so did when did you find it cathartic for yourself or did you go in purely from to be like informative for other people or have you found that it's been a healing process for you a mixture so the first year I was anonymous I would always talk about oh this is such a taboo topic and then I wouldn't I wasn't saying I said and because of that I'm I said a bit more eloquently but I was basically saying you know this is a, a, a personal topic that I'm putting out in a in a public place but I'm choosing to be anonymous and I'd get people messaging me going you talk about this taboo topic and you're not saying who you are mm. And at the same time, I was doing lots of, um, I suppose, learning about owning your story and, you know, stepping into your story and all that kind of stuff. And so when my little boy turned one, mm. I came out, so to speak, because also sometimes I'd interview a guest and they'd say my name and get really apologetic. And I was <laughs> like, it's fine. So was that because you were worried about how you, the industry that you're working with would deal with it, how your boss is? Or was that from a personal perspective that you didn't want to? Probably more personal. And I was just a bit unsure about I was a bit unsure about how I felt about it. I was a bit scared about it. Also, you know, it was it's a it's a scenario that has affected my husband and I, and it's not necessarily something that he was thrilled about. You know, that I was then putting out there, um, and I think I thought that by being anonymous, it, it gave me a bit more time to decide. Mm. Um, but I was surprised at the number of people that were saying, well, why aren't you yourself? Because I, I suppose there was still a bit of, and there is still stigma attached to this topic. People don't really understand it. Um, but in the five years I've been talking about it, it's so, anybody that I speak to about what I do knows somebody who's been dealing with every yeah. single person. And everybody has a story to say. And, you know, sometimes it's sensitive and other times it's not. But it's the 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 conversation and the narrative around IVF and infertility has totally changed mm. in the last five years. And there's people that I've known since I started who are still there as we joke about how we're still, we're still working in this space. Some people have stopped and quite rightly they've moved on because it wasn't right for them. Yeah, And it has been something at times that I've wondered whether it's the right place for me to be because, you know, you're surrounded still by sadness as well as joy um, and very personal very personal stories being shared and so there's a duty of care that I've yeah. you know taken on myself around it all because it is a personal it's a it's a personal journey that I've been on in making this content and I guess no person no two people's story is the same no so no matter I think you'll never run out of content I'm yeah. doing inverted commas yeah. because um I guess there's always going to be new medical discoveries it's always going to be new doctors scientists and um, new studies yeah and 
I think what you're doing also is really important because there's a lot of people out there that probably can't afford to go and even have a consultation mm. um, with any of these specialists. And so you are presenting an array of different um, information that nor- maybe anyone um, who's just wouldn't have access to. Yeah. And I think that's what's pretty amazing about what you, you're doing. I mean, you were aware of that. Do you have people getting in touch with you and saying you've educated me beyond. oh now yes. now definitely and with the growth of different social like media platforms like instagram is massive with the the infertility community it's called the hashtag is ttc trying yeah. to conceive and that over the last couple of years has become really prominent and um it's probably on on twitter and facebook still but instagram definitely there's a lot more interaction of people saying, you know, this has helped me with this. And I've had people say that they've, you know, they've even told the GP to go and listen to the episode, which, you know, is the the ideal is that I can be on an NHS choices list. And um, that information can, the, the aim of the podcast is to educate and empower people mm. to ask those questions because people always say, specialists always say, there's no stupid question. But when you're sat in front of a consultant and you're totally baffled by what they're saying to you, mm. that you can't have a child naturally and you need science it's you know it's devastating there's a grieving process of not being able to you know you're not going to wake up and be like I'm pregnant you know like we all thought and you know there's these different levels of grief that isn't is misunderstood and then there's the whole implications on your mental health around the trying and the failing and however else that affects friendships and all sorts of different things and these are all things that you know you still have to manage and talk about and it's things we've tried to talk about with the podcast and so people along the way have said this was me and I relate to this and and that's been amazing you know that's an amazing kind of feedback yeah I can imagine it is quite prolific as well because people are um I, I guess there's a community there it's when I get I had the lady um come to me a couple of years ago saying I wondered if you'd spoken about um mental health this was a couple of years before there's been a big study on the mental health implications of fertility treatment since but it was before then and she said have you have you covered mental health and infertility? Because I had a mental, I had a breakdown at work, and I was like, no. And if you would happy to talk, and she spoke to me anonymously, which again is the beauty of audio. Yeah. And it was devastating. She travelled loads. She managed like a national team, and she just, you know, and she had to quit work and all these different things. And you know, we've kept in touch since sporadically because again like I said that duty of care you kind of try to keep up with with people um and a lot of people blog and a lot of people share more you know what they're doing from you talking about it being cathartic it's it's definitely the story sharing is definitely helpful Mm. um I think for me personally it's been helpful cathartic yet uh overwhelming at times when you realize that you put something out there and on the one hand, you forget who it reaches because you're in a bit of a bubble of your community. And then you forget when you put it on social media that your friends and family yeah. are following. And so there have been stages where I've shared my personal stage, which I don't do too much because I try to kind of present the information and I'll give my personal opinion on things. But I don't I feel quite. Um, protective about actually telling you what's going on with me but there were certain stages of what has gone on with us that I, I felt it was important to share and then the the fallout of that is your friends getting in touch with things that you hadn't necessarily thought that they you forget you yeah. forget because the, there's a feeling within the kind of 
the community of people that get what you've been through that they totally get it and you kind of you do distance yourself a bit from your friends because they don't get it yeah. even though they want to get it and they want to help you they they you know they don't if they've had no problems having their families yeah. and of course they're your friends and they want to help you and so you kind of close off a bit from them and and so there's been a bit of a just a learning curve of how you then manage yourself and protect yourself and have those conversations where you want or you say to people oh, thank you you know I don't want yeah. to, you know I'm okay and so you just have to remember what happens now when you put content out there. But also because you're so comfortable in front, in front of the microphone yeah. that I guess if you're doing your own sort of intros and whatever the outros and something's really triggered you or you've, you're talking about something really that's quite a personal thing, do you find that you, you, you're you more likely to um, open up just to the microphone to yourself? Yeah. Uh, and I've got, you know, I've got emotional uh, at times and, when I've had a lot of training in radio and, and understand how to make good radio and mm. what gets good radio. And there was always, you know, getting people crying. Not that you want to get people crying, no. but people crying on air, it's compelling. You know, yeah. you, there's no denying that we want to hear real stories and we want to hear emotion. And the same goes for a podcast. You know, there was times where I did get emotional when I was talking about topics and the reaction was, you know, full on. Um but you want to be authentic. That's the point of a podcast. That's why people come back and subscribe to you because it's you and it's not what they're getting that's filtered and shined up, you know, from what you might get in the mainstream media. So, yeah, it's just being true to what you're doing. So it's interesting as you're talking about the well-being side. And I know that if you've been training to do fertility coaching, yeah, um, you know, as a well-being coach myself, um, this area is really interesting to me because um, it's an area of coaching that I'm not familiar with. Can you explain what fertility coaching is about? Well, the training I've been doing is about emotional well-being. So it's not going to be that different from the well-being kind of work that you've done, but it's Focusing a lot on the fact that when people are trying to conceive, they often put their life on hold. And, you know, every month, especially as a woman, you know, there's a something that, that is there, you know, that, that tells you you're not pregnant. Yeah. And it's a constant monitoring of time and people stop things. And they, like I talked before about, they distance themselves from relationships and it has an impact on work. And so there's all these different factors. And so it's working on predominantly emotional well-being and how to start things again in your life and how to have um, different uh, tools to enable you to manage certain feelings and understand your emotions more and so it's it's very much focused on your behavior and like I say your emotional well-being to try and kind of keep you going through this rather because there's such stopping points for Mm. people and so many people talking about they don't book holiday they don't go to a party here they don't drink they don't eat this that you know they're denying themselves so many things in the hope of putting their life on hold in so many different aspects they don't take that promotion at work and and say you know the the worst case scenario is you don't get to have a uh, have a baby then you've denied yourself all these things you might have missed out at work all these different life things and then what have you got to show for people that spend five, ten years trying? Mm. So it's to try and understand the importance of living your life whilst you're going through this and how best to then cope and deal with triggers on social media if there's pregnancy announcements and all the conversations that Auntie This might have about, you know, when you're going to yeah. have a kid, those types of things. And it's giving you those those tools to move yourself out of them or protect yourself. 
So at what stage would you recommend someone comes to a fertility coach? Could it be from the very beginning of their journey or, I mean, even way after? How Where, where would you come in? Well, the cl- clinics will talk about counselling and coaching being a vital part from, from the start. I mean, there's, there's you know, we've, we've got a very different approach to therapy in the UK than, say, America, yeah. haven't we? And so asking for help isn't in our in our nature, but having support around all of this like I said it is a grievance to not a grievance it is a grieving process to not be able to conceive naturally it's actually termed by the World Health Organization infertility as a disease which loads of people were like what but it's a failure of a of a of a of of your body Mm. to not be able to do what nature intended and therefore that support at the at the earliest stage possible is is key rather than keeping it to yourself which a lot of yeah. people do so you know the, the support available if you're going into treatment f- as part of your treatment okay. um through clinics and coaching is obviously a different thing it's uh, something that you might seek out independently some, some clinics are starting to work with coaches i mean i'm literally just at the end of training and, and i've just been working with case studies so aren't at, i'm not actually working yeah. but in the the conversations i have with the podcast I was kind of having this type of conversation to say, anyway. I mean, that's proper experience, isn't yeah. it? Because you're speaking to people and I guess doing that level of support yeah. and, and helping. That's why I wanted to have it. I wanted to have more tools myself to be able to support people better. And even in, like you're asking about the feedback, the communication that I have online or the emails that we get, I want to be able to offer better advice and support or even to signpost people to, you know, to, to, to more places. But I think the sooner the better. So... I mean, looking back, um, how old's Phoenix now? He's five. five. He'll be five next month. Okay. Yeah. So, and how long before he was born did you start thinking that there may be issues? Was it? Um, to be honest, we we were married, and then it was like a year, year and a half of kind of trying, and then because I was. 35 ish you know and everyone's like you need to check yourself because I'd had my best friend had been through treatment and another friend had you know said you know at our age we can get tests on you know because often the doctors say you have to try you have to have been trying for a year and um so after about a year year and a half we went and had conversations and then you know we were kind of put through the very quickly put through the process because I was 35 yeah I think if I was younger um we would have been told to go and carry on trying okay so you you think now 35 is you know it's quite normal to begin a family you know it's you know a lot of people that's just kind of like a normal stage they get married around 32 and that's but so you're you're age 34 35 your career ambitions at the time yeah where where do you think you were going to be going what was your kind of vision I just thought it would all fall into place. I'd carry on doing the radio stuff, and I'd have—I actually thought I'd have had babies by then, but mm. I hadn't, you know, hadn't met my, my, my now husband. But um, so I just assumed I'd carry on. I'd already started doing the voiceover work and had a home studio set up, so that you know when I was pregnant, and I had a had a small person in the house, I could work from home. So my aim was to be doing radio and voiceover and and just carrying on like that. Um, unbeknown to me that this new kind of avenue would would open its door and I'd end up working in a because I now host events and chair panel discussions and and working within the industry to kind of create content and help different sectors of the of the fertility industry and and I suppose it's broadening to the health 
care space mm. to to use audio content to to help get messages across because when it's such a niche topic there's been some interesting research to say that you know people are often embarrassed about the topic and so they don't want to be sat reading a book and so to have it plugged into your ear holes nobody knows what you're listening to and like you say you can share it with other people yeah. um and now that podcasts are so much more understood and they're so much they're so what more widely available people are realizing that they are a worthwhile way to make content and so I've been crafting what I'm doing to be that kind of that person within the fertility space to be making content um and I'm now focusing on doing kind of different projects within the fertility sector yeah um I never I mean I, I just never imagined that there'd be so much scope but there, there's there's there is quite a disconnect between the sector and the patient in the way that they talk so they, it feels like there needs to be more understanding yeah because listening yeah. to some of your podcasts back um and there was quite a lot of stuff that you've done you've like you say you've um run events you've kind of hosted the panels and and I think that's what's really interesting is that did you looking back, did you ever think you'd be on a stage with a level of expertise that you can be interrogating scientists yeah. and uh, <laughs> say interrogating questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you obviously didn't want to be in the situation that you were in, but looking now, mm. it's exciting what you've created yeah. and what potentially the future holds. Definitely. I mean, I had done a range of interviews in the radio work and I'd been on stage and I'd host events. That stuff wasn't daunting to me. But the then being in a position where I was, like you say, interviewing experts was it was really exciting. And it felt privileged because I felt having been there as a patient and at times I'd be at events where there was an audience, you know, and I'd field questions. And to be able to be that go between knowing what it felt like, I just felt really credible, I suppose, in that I'd been there and so I knew, I really knew what this felt like and mm. these kind of questions. I mean, our our experience of treatment was pretty straightforward. We had one round and it worked first time. And, you know, I now know, sadly, from the many people I've spoken to that we're one of the few, you know, people mm. have multiple rounds and they have endless failures and recurrent miscarriage and all these types of, you know, really difficult and, and traumatic events that people have to deal with. And um, I haven't got that level of, of personal experience, but I've still spoken to enough people to know the pain, you know, that yeah. that, that um, brings on. And so, yeah, to be able to have the conversations and to now be in a position where I'm now working with a fertility nurse um, who's my co-host, who I brought in about um, eight months ago now. She was somebody that I knew from the industry and funnily enough, she had been doing radio interviews and we were talking. And she was like, I loved it. I'd love to do more of it. And I'm great on it. She sounds like a real natural. She's and yeah. she's she's and it, that's a funny one as a as a I, I've worked in radio as a solo presenter and as a co-host. And um, to um, be on your own, just interviewing is is fine. But it's also lovely to have banter between somebody. And I was very used to it. And when we started to, to work together and. You know, I've helped. I've been coaching her to a, a to a point in in the in the way to just be more natural about what she's doing, and and it's been lovely seeing how she's come out of herself. But her expertise is amazing, and I want the podcast to have that element of expert knowledge. And we've just um, literally this week launched a new type of podcast where we're doing ten minute um, shorter episodes called a tea break pod, where she's answering questions because okay. we were putting people's questions at the end of an episode yeah. and it just seemed a shame in, in radio 
land we always talked about not burning content and it seemed a shame to have a really interesting interview and then questions yeah. and you know when you're now this is a lot of information and I talk about not wanting to people to be overwhelmed by the information and so we we're now doing every now and again 10 minute just kind of question and answers where she will respond to people's questions and and th- that again sets us apart and it really like brings home that we've got that expert yeah. view in in the content that we're sharing talking of women who are ambitious yes that's what the podcast is about um and you mentioned at the beginning of the the conversation what what do you do if you are the the top of your game um you, you're ready to have a family and then this whole situation hits you and you're going through either treatment or you're going to have to have um, consultations anything like that how do we bring that conversation into um I mean women are going to be working now forever this is just the beginning now of women being you know high up what what advice have you got for anyone that's going through that well I've just launched with um two other women that I've met in the space a project called fertility matters at work and what this is all about they're both HR professionals and what one of them had been doing was going through the NHS policy because there's no preconception policy there's a maternity policy but there's nothing written really to show what you might need if you're needing time out because of anything going on in the preconception phase and so what we've created is um, a new initiative that is going to be going into corporates to help explain what people need and at the same time creating a platform for people to come and ask for advice so uh, ideally there is some kind of IVF policy in place at work if that's what if that's what you need yeah but the, the the key thing I think is is flexibility because if you're going to have to have treatment of some sort it 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 means that you need to go for appointments and different things and being able to speak to your line manager or your boss or whoever and say there is that there is something going on you might not want to say what I need to have some flexibility that's been one of the key things that people have said has been the biggest help because the biggest stress is trying to fit it in and the biggest stress is then the impact it has on your ability to manage work and I've spoken with you know senior level women who were managing ridiculous amounts of work in quite male-dominated environments and running down the street after a, a you know an embryo transfer or you know something really important and organizing their treatment in in a in a spreadsheet whilst project managing something else and just there is a link between stress and this type of treatment yeah. and it's not to say relax and it'll happen it won't but being stressed isn't going to help you know your body is in, in a heightened state isn't it when it's it's stressed so being able to have the flexibility ideally knowing um if there is some policy in place I mean it shouldn't have to be annual leave this is kind of one of the issues and yeah. so what I would say is that um it's it's early days in in terms of policies being put in in place but there is quite a movement around women's health from the menopause to miscarriage to all of these conversations that we're seeing talked about in the press more and employers understand that in order to keep you know high performers and these people that cost them money to recruit, it makes much more sense to understand and talk yeah. and help them with their well-being rather than just let them go, you know, or sidestep them and then have to recruit again. So yeah. I think, um, look, look for example, follow Fertility Matters at Work because we're only sharing more and more content as it comes. And there's another organisation called See Her Thrive, which is doing kind of conversations and, and 
projects in work workplaces um, across the UK to try and help the conversation along and help employers understand what women need. Yeah. And I think it's it's just the start of what's going to be quite a big movement. Absolutely. I mean, I can only imagine that as women are um, climbing the career ladders and they are m- maybe choosing to kind of put their families on hold for a bit, this type of thing is just going to become more and more, you know... Um, I think it's just going to be part and parcel of just working in in corporate life. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is there's an amazing movement for childless women. Mm. From a support sense, there's an amazing organisation called Gateway for Women and the lady called Jodie Day is also talking about how women without children shouldn't be, not discriminated against, but treated differently in the workplace compared to women with children because there is still that, that narrative isn't right. Um, And so if... You know, there are women who are ambitious and they've chosen to not have children or they've not been able to have children, then there still needs to be understanding and support for however their careers then go, because it's not yeah. just because they didn't want children. Yeah. So I think that there needs to that needs to be understood. So a couple of conversations I've had with other guests and um, fertility's come up in the conversation. And two of my guests have talked about awareness from um, a school from a school perspective, from, you know, from the age of sort of 15, 16, when girls are choosing GCSEs, A-levels, for them to understand that, yes, it's great to be ambitious and it's great to have, you know, big um, plans, but also should they be educating at school about, um, you know, fertility at different ages and what they should be expecting and perhaps to have this conversation about infertility so it's not like, you, you know, you're faced with it and you're totally uneducated because I can only assume that when it happens to you, it is a bit of a shock. And then you've got to go through the whole process of learning. Yeah, because we're all taught how not to get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, this year, 2020, sees the first time that fertility education is going on the curriculum. So there's been quite a lot of interesting work about fertility education in okay. schools. And there's an initiative called the Fertility Education Initiative. Mm. I think that's the right name. Um and there's an amazing lady called Professor Joyce Harper who's currently touring the EU and about this kind of poster campaign to have up in schools to do just that, to educate boys and girls yeah. about the fact that about miscarriage, about, you know, the women are born girls are born with their eggs, which you know none of us really kind of realise and that your fertility declines as you get older. For 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 guys for boys that, you know, things like if they're going into the gym at an early age, which more and more young lads are, are doing, you know, protein shakes are detrimental to sperm health. This is a thing with men anyway, because there's a whole issue with sperm count yeah. being on the decline. Um, and that, you know, sperm can, male infertility can be a factor as well. It's like 50-50 male, female issues. So there is a big movement again. And there's more and more, I mean, I've been working with some different clinics in the UK. There's one in Brighton that's really prominent about explaining about fertility education as we just talked about but also you know if 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 in in kind of same-sex relationships and explaining how you know if you are gay you can still have a family you know rather than all the narrative that has terrified people to not come out because they've been terrified about what their family might say and worried about disappointing their parents because they're not going to make them grandparents trying to have all those conversations and make it more acceptable to to talk like that. It's fascinating. And, you know, as a mum with 
kids who are, you know, I've got a 14 and a 12 year old. And like you say, the whole sex education thing is going to be cropping up, but they should be knowing all the fertility side as well, yeah. especially so they can be making educated choices about when they want to start their families, how they want to do that and always have their career. And also I think from, you know, hopefully when it does happen for for them to understand, OK, um, you know, I can stay, the man can stay at home as well. And even though that's not been modelled in my family, it doesn't mean that it can't happen, you know. Yeah. So I think there's so many different conversations to be had. Um, and I think your podcast is going to, you know, really enlighten a lot of people. And just from myself, uh, who who's come in from sort of a relatively naive, you know, perspective, I've learned loads just from the few hours of listening to your podcast. Oh, and I've you. subscribed and will be listening Aww. even more. I think one of the things is how we talk about families and, and talking about families as modern families. Um, and that might be, I've got a friend who's had a baby on her own. You know, she's yeah. a, a, a successful career woman. She hadn't met the right guy. And she now has created a community to help, we were talking about career women, go down that path and uh, taking away the stigma around a sperm donor. And, you know, you can do it on your own and mm. explaining about the things you need, like a support network and finances. I'm also working with two guys, a gay couple, who were kind of flying the flag for same-sex um, fatherhood um, and surrogacy within the UK and so they're really explaining a lot about how it all works and um, there's all these different denominations of our families yeah. and how our families are made you know single men single straight men who are adopting there's the, the, the modern family is in so many different shapes and sizes and colours that that we need to understand it better and our children need to understand it yeah. better and and actually any of the kind of um, families who are at a stage where their children are old enough to understand their origins, be, be they from IVF or from donor conception, mm. and it is important to, to talk about it, especially from donor conception. Kids are so accepting. Absolutely. And, and there's so many conversations within, within the class, and, and I know... And they're so interested. Exactly. You exactly. know, they. that's what I, I get. You know, we've, we've sort of grown up at the, in the era that we did of being, like, slightly judgmental or <laughs> not being as accepting. And this generation of kids... They just tell you a fact and that's it. And there's yeah. no judgment. Um, and I love that. I mean, have you talked to your son about um, his journey to becoming a human or is that something that you are looking at doing? It's funny because I was actually talking with somebody recently who he's who he's in the same class as who was telling me that they'd been through treatment as well. And I was like, oh, there's actually, I already know. And, you know, we've, we've said our kids in the same class, I'm new to this group of people. And um, I've already met, you know, half a dozen, maybe not that many. I've, I've already met three, four different people who have told me that they've been through treatment. And so my son's going to be in a class with kids who have come to be in the same way. And I was thinking, yeah, I need to start having that conversation. I, I don't quite know how and when, um, because I don't want it to be forced, but yeah. I will have that conversation with him. Um, I've got friends who have had treatment who don't want their kids to know, and I think it's totally... I think when it's fertility treatment, it, it's totally fine what you decide to do. I think with the donor angle, it, it's yeah. a bit more involved and you've got more of a responsibility and that type of thing. But yeah, I'll definitely have conversations along the way because also we're in a place where we're, we're only having one child, and that conversation has been one that I've had with him a, a couple of times that I might have to have a bit more, you know, where he's asking me if he's going to be a brother. Mm. Um, Did he so ask you that a lot? He went through a phase, probably when he just started school, of asking me a lot. And I just kept saying to him, mummy's got to work. And he was fine with that. Um, and at the moment, he hasn't he hasn't asked me for a while. Because um, that's actually a conscious decision that we've made 
due to a whole range of circumstances. So I saw you did a, a, a post on that, and that was a very personal, that was the example emotional... Was, yeah, that's kind of what I was referring to, yeah. And that, that was something that I decided to share, because... And, and actually, that decision, which is about n- not using frozen embryos, is something that I'm going to be making some more content about. And a couple of people have asked me if I talk more about it, which I'm working out whether I want to, because, you know, it is, it's a very difficult decision that people have to make. And, and any time anybody puts anything about it on social media, there's a massive amount of comments, people mm. saying, I can't think about it, it stresses me out, I don't know what to do. And there's not really that conversation from the clinic, because you're so, like, in the making of the embryos you know ideally yeah. and having a baby that they don't then go and then you need to think about that later stage they yeah. just kind of go you've got more to freeze you know and I guess it's still quite raw it's very personal the ambitious mum the podcast about ambition motherhood and everything in between do you ever get worried about your backlash or have you, when you experienced positive feedback, have you ever had anyone, you know, I guess being, put you, putting yourself out there in a public place. Yeah. I mean, I'm just starting out there and I've already had lovely comments, but there have been some sort of more quizzical comments. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm actually putting myself out there. I need to be able to learn how to handle the not so positive comments. Yeah, I've had a few comments on bits and bobs, you know, but you kind of see that it's they're kind of ignorant comments um and whenever topics like this are discussed in the mainstream media there's always a a huge backlash of comments of people you know when there's the discussion about funding being available Mm. and um about different ways as we've been talking about that people make families there was a big debate on victoria derbyshire the other week about surrogacy and the comments were you know embarrassing that some people were saying um but it's a lack of knowledge and yeah. ultimately, there to, I'm there to educate. So I kind of feel that I've had much more positive comments than I've had negative. I think, I think you know, it's all worthwhile. Though. Yeah. And I think, you know, every time I get, every time I feel like, oh, you know, if I might feel a bit, I don't know, self-protective about anything, I'll always have a comment that's come in from somebody saying what a difference it's made and how it's helped them and how they've done this and they've done that or they found this. And so, you know, it's... It's all worthwhile. And what would you say are your main priorities now, sort of career-wise, plan-wise, with with this? The main focus, I'm I'm kind of working quite B2B with the content, um, working for the sector. And I want to do more work in the healthcare sector making this kind of content. Um, and interestingly, I've got a few projects going on where I'm actually hosting, creating and hosting content, not fertility-related, but healthcare-related and, you know, the healthcare, women's health predominantly, but the healthcare sector is of interest to me. So wherever I can map out ways in which I could work from a, a kind of host point of view, that's one avenue. Um, the, the fertility at work um, side of things is quite prominent because within the training that we're going to be doing, I'm going to be creating a lot of the digital content. So I, with the voiceover work, I already do a lot of e-learning content and we're going to create e-learning packages so the corporates can have access to in-person you know discussions as well as a kind of aftercare package for people to to use so that whole digital kind of content creation so more from like an hr side so they've got all the relevant information up-to-date information yeah okay so that's a kind of another area and then alongside that is then the, the the voiceover work so it's been an interesting 
experience blending the two but what I've I suppose come to realize is that I'm a professional talker um <laughs> in many no I mean I was I've been trying to blend it all together and the ideal would be that I'm doing voiceover work doing adverts for women's health products and programs about women's health and you know that's when my synchronicity is totally you know lined up but that takes a bit more well, what I've noticed is and, and speaking to more women on the podcast is that we're not put put in a box anymore like we don't have to be like really, oh, we're going to just focus on this one thing what I've been noticing is that we're all used to multitasking so yeah. why not multitask within our careers yeah and have um you know an element here and a bit there and hopefully bring it all together with some form of common thread and also make it work for our families you know so if there's an element of being around for our kids and you know either working from home or flexibly and I think that's what's been so exciting that it is the way forward mm. that we don't have to sort of sit in an office nine to five every day yeah. and we are following passions as well and doing stuff that you know makes us happy and I think that um with yourself definitely if you're helping people and making yourself happy then um hopefully it'll be a winning combination totally that focus like you say on your happiness I think knowing that your work can make you happy might not always make you happy because you know I can't believe anybody who says that every second of their working day they're happy but you know if the the ethos of what you're doing makes you happy and I think that has an amazing impact on your life and like you say we're not constrained to just stick in that one way of working I mean I've always I've worked for myself for most of my career so I can't although I like to you know I collaborate and there's different and that's been a big part of what I've been doing in the last five years to collaborate to to not be lonely because there was an element where I was like going a bit crazy about what my working week looked like um but giving yourself the time to review and look at that and then build on it I think is really key too wishing you so much luck and success with it all the fertility podcast you can find on all platforms yeah it's on all podcast apps it's i the the fertilitypodcast.com is the main website and then i'm at fertility poddy on all the social platforms and the other one is at fertility matters at work okay and that's but that's all linked if you just find my fertility poddy one then fine you know it's all linked up and i'll make sure everything goes in the show notes so we'll have lots of great any of the um the other websites that you've mentioned as well, I'll yeah. make sure they go up. And um, hopefully you people can go straight to you and ask you any questions. Definitely, always happy. And I think just don't deal with this alone. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that, that still, it's the one kind of common thing that always, I was listening to something on the kind of news the other day, a couple talking about it, people still keep it to themselves and then realise that there's this whole support network out there mm. kind of further down the line and wish they'd found it sooner. And so... If you've just found out that there's something or you're thinking about how your family's going to look and you're wanting to know more, just, you know, there's a lot of, of useful information that you can get access to and people that are willing to help. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We'll speak to you soon. So that is this week's episode done. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd love to know if some of the insights resonated with you or if there were some takeaways that you're possibly able to apply to your life. I would really love to hear your feedback and perspective on today's conversation as well. Perhaps we talked about a topic that sparked something within you, or you have something to offer to the other listeners. Either way, I would love to hear from you. In order to help grow the Ambitious Mum community and allow the podcast to be heard by other people, please do rate, subscribe and share it across your social networks. This will really help with the visibility of a new podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Coaching by Kate 
and do use the hashtag the ambitious mum podcast so I can find your comments easily so please do get in touch if you have any more to say I'll also provide all links to my guests and my contact details on the ambitious mum show notes too see you next week Thank you.